0: Hi, it's Sunday evening, and I have a lot to do this week, so uh, let me see if I can say a few words about the structure of the Seder. Uh, I told, this is from Mishpachas Stefanski, who was interested in the history of the Seder, at least as I understand it, and um, of the structure of the Seder. So I thank them, and uh, I got a email today from the United Kingdom from someone that said, oh, I'm all disappointed that you said the Seder comes originally from a Hellenistic, uh, you know, tradition, and the Symposium and all the rest of it, and uh, takes away from the Kedusha and so forth, and uh, it's not really true, but I can understand somebody might have that kind of, um, attitude, uh, because they don't understand the historical development, and I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean it in a good way. Um, anything that comes uh, not from the chumish uh, happen is historically situated. I don't know if people realize that. Maybe it sounds front to them, but they're just not thinking. There's no such thing as a drabonin. They didn't have some kind of reason behind it. That's true of every law in the world or every ceremony. You understand know what I'm saying? I live in Baltimore. If the city of Baltimore passes a law or a rule or regulation, something caused it. If they say nobody can cross the street between 2 and 3, must be that there are accidents are stuff between 2 and 3, and you know, they don't do it Stam and the If they say no one can wear a red wig on Tuesday mornings, there's got to be a reason. And in Jewish history, Jewish law, whenever you find a Drabonin or something like that, or a Minig, it did just say, hey, let's make a Minig. Unless the rabbis got together, we got nothing better better to do today, so let's just pass a law. That's not how it goes. Uh, there's a reason. There was a historically situated reason. And they either passed the law or didn't, but they wouldn't have done it without that reason. <clears throat> so, transferred us to Passover. Uh, they. It's clear <clears throat> that what happened was, <clears throat> as I said before, that... Uh, they wanted a reaction against the Greek narrative, which was the opposite of the Jewish narrative. And they emerged out of the Greek culture that form of having, you know, what we call today a Seder, no, a, a symposium. You have four cups, four questions, four this, that, and the other. If it, if the Chachamim didn't hold it for me, it wouldn't have gone anywhere. There's a veldt of laws, customs... Hanhogus from ancient Egyptian Jewry that we don't follow today. It's called Alexandrian Judaism. It's based on, we get a lot of knowledge of this from the writings of Philo of Alexandria and people like that. Philo wrote a lot of books. I mean, a lot of books, including a biography of Moshe Arbena, for example, in Greek. And in the 19th century, uh, scholars, in fact, the founders of Conservative Judaism were very interested in comparing and contrasting what we call Alexandrian Halacha on the one hand, versus Judean Halacha, what you and I call the Gemara and the Mishnah and so forth, on the other hand. The former president of Shev University, the YU, Rabbi Belkin, Dr. Belkin, used to specialize in this because he could read Greek, <clears throat> learned it in college, and he was a big Chacham, so he could check out what the Alexandrian Jews were doing on the one hand and compare it to rabbinic literature on the other, and he made a living out of that. I mean, you know, nothing wrong. I mean, he published a bunch of articles and things of this nature. And many have since then. So just get used to the fact, whether you like it or not, that in the Bayashani period, there was more than one place where Jews lived. And not everybody followed the same kind of Judaism that we're thinking of, even though you and I are used to thinking of a monolithic Judaism, which unites Jews around the world, in, in having the same laws pretty much in every way. This simply was not the case. <clears throat> um, it's indeed interesting that uh, the slightest familiarity with the Mishnah of tells you that in order for a get to be good, you need the Lishma, and there are many places that don't know about the laws of Lishma, but they did in anyway, you, you see? So how did the Israelis deal with that? That's what a lot of the Mishnahist, um, the Tanaanic literature of, of getting is about. And there are many things like that. There are places where they say this food was kosher and other communities are considered not kosher. You and I are living in times where we're way after, what I would say, the Talmudization of the Jewish people happened when a book was created called the Talmud, or a set of books, and that kind of uniformized, at least to us, a, a big degree, a Jewish practice and, and things like that. But it wasn't the way all the time. <clears throat> so don't be shocked if the Jews in some place had thisness a Hanhaga or that one. But what's unusual is that a custom which probably started in Egypt or someplace there which which took off the Hellenistic culture, spread elsewhere among the Jews and was given a Jewish uh, content. Then it becomes a drabonon and then it becomes a source if you want to get from for Kedusha and reading in and darshani And that's what happened to the Haggadah shal and the Seder shal Okay? Now, on the other hand, you don't have to be a major historian to understand that the Passover Seder has undergone all kind of changes. And what we have today is, to be perfectly honest, kind of a a slopping together of a lot of different uh, customs, which is a Jewish thing. I'll give you an example. Have you heard of the Kinos or the Slichus? Used to be that in this community they said this Kino, and in that community they said that Kino, because they didn't all start way back when, a thousand years ago, so let's all copy each other's Kinos. Didn't even know about them. This one was located here and that was located there. But over the course of time, and thanks to the printing press, different communities copied different ones over long periods of time, and eventually, you ended up in a situation where everybody's doing everybody's. Slichos is like that. <clears throat> Other things are like that. It started as one or two, and eventually congealed, or gelled, I should say, into everybody doing multiples. So, for example, when it comes to Passover Seder, one of the parts is Magid. There is a din of Hagada. The din of Hagada is not identical with the Maggit the way we have it today, because in the Bayez Rishon, there was no such thing as a Haggadah and a Seder. You just ate the carbon Pesach, and you said whatever you wanted to say about the Pesach story. Right? Same way that there was no formal Davini. You just said whatever you wanted to say to Hashem. Like the Rambam says in the beginning of Hustvila. So it was a kind of informal. <laughs> Over the course of time, as happens with all religions, including the Jewish, This became, you know, uh, uniformatized, perhaps because of people like the person in the UK that was bothered by all this. And um, in a very Jewish kind of way, different customs were gelled together to produce a single formula that included everything, even though it comes out a little bit weird if you think of it historically. So I'll tell you what I mean. We have a part of the Haggadah called the Maggit. Um... The Maggot today, of course, um, is eaten, you know. Let me put it this way the the, the place where we do the Maggot is not necessarily identical to where they used to do it once upon a time. Because when exactly did they eat the carbon pesach? And, uh, you know, at the beginning of the meal, at the late meal, there are different opinions from each other about all this. You know, who has a whole article. Maybe I should pull it out. Uh, Mursky in that. Hegiri the first volume, if I remember correctly. He had a couple of interesting articles about, you see from Rishonim, the Maram Chalava, people like that, how the customs uh, developed. And there was a time when you didn't eat any matzah, for example, <coughs> until the carbon Pesach. So not what you and I do today, that you have a weird business where you make the brocco and the matzah, and then you have the sholchan arach, the meal, and later you have the avikomen. The question, of course, becomes, where's the Karim Pesach? Well, you can't have a carbon peso nowadays. But the Torah says we should eat the matzah and the mar together with the carbon peso. So they had to refigure it in some way because they couldn't do it that way since we don't have a carbon peso. So they had to do the eat the matzah separately and eat the mar separately as we do. <coughs> and uh, regardless of the fact that matzah is the rice of the mar it's got nothing to do with it. But where exactly in the meal are you going to do it? Long, long ago when there was a carbon peso, uh, I think the Mordechai says this long, long ago, when there was a karm Pesach, you had a meal. No, you didn't. You sat down, and you talked they did magin and stuff like that. And then you had the karm Pesach with the matzah and the mar. Words, that was your Shulchan Aruch, get it? Uh, it may have been the dessert, if you had a few people. It may have been, I mean, if you had uh, many people, if you had a few people, it may have been the meal itself. That's in the Mishnah, but... You didn't eat the matzah until you did the afikoman, if I can use that terminology. You didn't eat the matzah until you did the karm pesach. Not what we do now, which you eat the matzah separate, then you do the mor separate with separate brother, and then you eat a meal, and then later on, Zecher for the afikoman, you eat the, the other matzah. And so, you're not supposed to eat the matzah until you do the karm pesach. So, they would, they would use egg matzah, matzah shiro. That's what the Mordecai says. So, during the meal, what I mean is not during the meal, but what they ate, if those people are hungry, as they're going through the Magid, so they would do matzah shira until they get to the matzah's mitzvah when they actually have the Karim Pesach. We don't have a Karim Pesach today. So they had to rejiggle and reconfigure everything, you see? Now, that's just one example of how the rabbis faced with new situations like the end of the Karim Pesach, which was a biggie, who nevertheless wanted to keep up the custom of having some kind of a Seder with four cups and four questions and all the rest of it, had to obviously change around the order. And I'm not even saying necessarily that the rabbis from top down did this. It's very possible that from bottom up, this was different Hanhagas and practices developed until they gelled into the form that we have today because there's no record of people getting together anywhere and deciding this is how we're going to do the Seder. All we have, and it's pretty old, is in the Mishnayis, and Pesachim, they describe what a Seder was like uh, in Eretz Yisrael during that era. They, you know, they bring this out, bring this out, the charoset and all the rest of it. But that doesn't mean they all got together and said, this is, you know, we're hereby decreeing that this is how the Seder has to be conducted. Because even the Mishnah doesn't go into great detail about what they are saying. They just talk about so many institutions you and I are familiar with, like the Manashtana and things like that. Um, clearly, things are added on to what you and I call the Haggadah, I mean, uh, over the course of time. So, for example, uh, what was the Magid composed of in the time of the Baish Shani? Well, we don't know. I'll tell you what I mean when I say that. The market that you and I have comes from the Amarayim. Rav versus Ishmael. Uh, Rav says that you, I think, if I remember correctly, Rav does the, the shorter version. And so, um, you know, you do a you know. In other words, you do like this, Manashtana. They say you know. They say a little bit more, and then you're done. Right? You know, you do Misa... Uh, you know, B'nai Brak and that sort of thing, and then you're done. That's a very short maggid. Those were from people. Rav was a from guy. He's an Amora. He didn't have a long maggid. if you're talking about textually. You see? And it's really simple. You know, it's supposed to be Chakam Rosha Tominadilishal, or at least that's how the how got it you and our familiars eventually moved it out. It's four questions didn't necessarily have to be four different types of sons, but, as you know, the Nusa Haggadah came to be by the time of the Mishnah, that you are supposed to deal it out in four different types of sons. You know, I got today as a very nice present from Rabbi Weisbord here in Baltimore, the Mashgiach then there he Yisrael, just published his own Haggadah, which has his own stuff, and then things from his father law Rabbi Weinberg, and his, uh, his wife's grandfather, Rabbi Ruderman, and it's a very nice Haggadah. And, um, uh, I just glanced for a second, and, you know, Rob Weinberg, very much his style says, from the four sons, you see do you have to tell each son differently. That's a very Weinbergian type of approach, you know, that that, that it is, it, the, the din of Magad is you have to tell each one differently. But uh, it didn't necessarily mean, one's a Hachim, one's a Roshal, and then the initial, think about your own family. You wouldn't necessarily classify your kids in those four ways. Uh, you might, but you might not. Uh, what if, you know what I'm saying, Uh, what if you don't have a Tom in your family? Okay? What if you don't have a Tom? It could be, uh, uh, (laughs) how should I put it, Uh, Kaniyevsky, I mean, where's the Russia? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's it's speaking in general terms. Now, that means that they had to come up with a Nusuch that, you know, would, would be very broad, and can be incorporated by everybody, even though it doesn't exactly apply to everybody. And that's characteristic of how the Haggadah, as we call it, evolved. The Haggadah is evolving, means that the actual Seder is evolving. Because the Haggadah is not only talking about the Yitzhak's Ram, but it's also the Seder, Hadvarim, Kaddish, Orchaz, Karpas, and all that sort of thing. So if we want to know where they came the structure from, as we all know, they filled the symposium with with Jewish content, but they also added on to it, and then others added on to that, and others added on to that, and eventually they put it all together, and so, as I said before, Rav, the Amorav, he says, you just do Avonim and a little bit more, and then you're done. That's like for a Tom. You know what I'm saying? That's like for a Tom. Uh, Why is this not different? Well, we were on slaves. That's it. And you just want to say, I'll tell you about the rabbis and B'nei That's the heart of it. You see, that's the heart of it. Now that's all you need to know. Um, for the tongue. Shmuel by contrast, I hope I have this right, maybe I have it backwards, but assuming I have it right. Shmuel says, no, you have to do over the or Kirvana Makal Lavadoso. That's a completely different mahalak. That's for a chacham. That's what you call a history lesson. You understand, because that raises much broader questions. The, the, the for the for the simplistic version is we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and that's good enough. But a wise son or people, I like go say, "Well, how did we become slaves in Egypt? <laughs> How'd that happen? You know, why, where, how it come from?" So whoever's coming up with that, Nusach says, you need what we call historical explanation. Um, are, are we saying over here that Rav and Shul made this of? Or are, they, are they just sharing long-standing traditions? It's not possible to tell. It's very possible, I suspect very strongly, they're sharing long-standing traditions, but I don't know. What I mean to say is, if you go back to the original Satyrs, which probably popped up in reaction to the Greek narrative, um, I would imagine they would go with the Shmul thing, which is, and then you t- end up you know, talking about how the Jews came down to Egypt. Notice that um, the narrative very carefully skips the Joseph story, right? It very carefully skips the Joseph story, because you know and I know that's how the Jews went to Egypt, but didn't want to bring that up either that night or maybe because anti-Semitism, whatever the reason was, I and mean, it's it's interesting to speculate why the Seder in its original form, or I should say the form that that the oldest form that we know about does talk about the but then, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? They Eli, they 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 skip that business real fast. And they get right to Yaakov entering Egypt. it kind of avoids the question, you know, why was Yaakov in Egypt? how did he get there and all the rest of it? They just want to emphasize you know, But uh, uh you know, so clearly whoever was in charge of the Nusach that emerged eventually as the general Nusach was uh, censoring the story because in that night, you don't want to talk about the Joseph business. Even though you could make the very good argument, why not? I mean, if you want to get down and dirty, to how the Jews give Egypt? It's a, it's a sin of sachem, it's a sin of schenum, it's a problem we still have today, and, you know, it's a, you know not good. But clearly they didn't want to focus on that which is just interesting. And instead, you switch to, as we all know, Arami, Ovidavi and all that stuff. Doing it all by heart now. Now, notice well that um, the whole Nusach of Arami, Ovidavi and then Vayogor Mitzrayim, and Vayeshev you and Vayesham L'Godol Godol Atzum, as we all know, is taken from the Chumash. But it's uh, Midrash. It's from the Sifri. So in other words, by the time Rabbi Shmuel, there actually were were, were uh, books or forms of this. And the Sefri, in its way, which is going on Devarim on the, what is it, the Vidoi Bikorum, is it, I think? Or the Vidi Maeser, the Vidi So, um, is, is casually referencing the Jewish experience in Egypt and dart on it. That became the thing to, to do instead of getting into the deep and down in the Joseph story. Because you could spend all night talking about the Joseph story. Um, you know, what the brothers did and why they did it, and what happened in Egypt, and why Joseph uh tortured them mentally, and how they made up, and this and that and the other, uh, which would be a very interesting kind of approach to uh the Pesach Seder, but you probably would never get around to the story of the Etsy's Mithraim, you see. So maybe they test drove it, and there's nothing wrong with this, saying this, you see. Maybe they test drove it. And there were those who had some kind of different version, starting with the Joseph story, all the rest of it. And I'll bet your money that, you know, it'd be one in the morning, two in the morning, three in the morning, you still didn't get around to, to Moshe Rabbeinu and the Ciswet Tzrayim. So we have a, rea- a rather small time frame in which you get to the Moshe Rabbeinu story, and specifically the part of the Moshe Rabbeinu story that has to do with Makas Bechorus and the night of the Ciswet rhyme and all the rest of it, which is what Pesach is commemorating. And so you have the problem of collapsing into... A relatively small amount of time a huge amount of information and therefore you have to cut and paste the story and that's how it emerged now the thing is Rav held to do it what I mean you know Shmuel held to do it the other way uh, which one did we pick well eventually both were put together that's why really 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 the Pesach has this quality it does it's not exactly logical uh, it's historically put together meaning it tagged together. Uh, it would be totally fine to do, you know, Manashtana Halay there. Well, I'll tell you why. And then, and then you tell the whole story about how the Jews were in Egypt and you would culminate with and that's the Manashtana. That's why we do what we do tonight with the Mara and the Matzah and all the rest of it. You could do that. I mean, that's what originally it was. It was a response to the Manish Sano, but a different version. It was Shmuel's. Over the course of time, uh, the two were put together. I can only surmise that it's like with the chauffeur. They put it all together so that everybody would be on the same page. That's a very rabbinic approach in which you do whatever it takes to get everybody to do the same thing. There has always been something majestic. And the Chazal wanted it to be majestic over the Pesach Seder. All over the world, Jews are telling the same story, right? Some with the Maxwell House and some with the, with the Chaim Kanyevsky, you know. Everybody's telling the same story. Tonight we left Egypt. Um, there's something powerful about that. And there's something... <coughs> Excuse me. There's something powerful. This is what they're striving for. Excuse me, I have a cough. Uh, they're striving for this business that all of Kleistra on the same page. Now, Rav was in the Surah and the other one was in Pumadisa or Narda, whatever. Uh, there are different nusas. We'll put them all together. Everybody should say the same thing. Do you see the same way, like Takiyah, Truah, k- Takiyah, tur- and all that? Takiyah, and Let's put them all together. Everybody should say the same thing. This is the Derek the, the of our Ovos long ago or a Manhigim that they would prefer, you know, a kind of a Nusah Achid, If they were around today, it wouldn't surprise me if they would say, combine together the the Ashkenaz and into the one thing and make everybody happy. Include this, include that. The Litvox will say Marconi and uh, the you know the Hasidim will say I don't know what you know, and everybody should be in the same page. That is what emerged in the course of the Seder <coughs> that we have today. Now, once that happened, by the way, there is a third Mahalch, and that, of course, is uh, Rabbi Gamliel who is Tana Enidic, he lived in the time of the base of Migdash. And his thing, as we all know, is, is, is truly minimalistic. Sorry about that. He's truly minimalistic, because he says, whoever didn't say Peso Matzah is not Yod Zedichova. but whoever did so is Yod Zedichova. So all you have to do is, Pesach Zuh HaShoma, Pesach Zuh HaShoma, Mor HaZum let's eat. That's what that boils down to. So Ramagam Gamliel, who lived in the time of the base of Amigdash, well, that's a big debate among the... Even if it's Ram Gamliel of so he had seen, you know. So, um, you know, because he lived in the time of the Corbin. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different commentaries and different Haggadahs, whether it's this Ram or that Ram Gamaliel, the one, was the time when the basement was standing, the one was there right after it was destroyed. Whatever the case is, um, as we all know, I mean, he's talking about something really minimalistic. Uh, so, he couldn't have had that kind of agar that we're talking about, which is, you have a whole Gantzah Magad. There was no Magad. You have the Four Cups, assuming that they had adopted that model, which they did. It's in the Mishnah. So in those, they had the, the, that model. And they had the model of the, you know, the, the, the Seder plates, you know, roughly speaking, uh, you know, with the Karim Pesach and the Karim Chagig and all that stuff. And um, you sat down, you made Kiddush, so to speak, You uh, 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 brought out the Seder plate. I'm serious about this. You brought out the Seder plate. And you got right down to the meal. But. But. Before you began eating. You said we're now going to have the Matzah matzah for this reason. And tonight we're going to be eating the Mara for this reason. And the Carbon Peso for this reason. And then you ate. Now Obviously. If you wanted to, you could sit there and hold a piece of meat up and say, and start dashing away. That's okay with me, and I don't doubt that that's what Talmid did. But the average, it's a very there's no Maggit. You know, it's a, extremely minimalistic. So think about a pesach <laughs> A lot of people would like to do this today, in which you know you have no maggid. So I we have three maggots over here. You have Rav, you have Shmuel, Rav and Rebbe actually came first. You see, uh, you just talk about matsuzu, moruzu, and this zoo, or you go a little bit more and you say or you go really more and you say, you know, mitkilevodevaseino. Uh, so just at the level of the maggid, which today for us the way it's evolved has become, I would say, the core of the of the seder experience. I mean, is that not true? I don't know you, and you know maybe one of these families that eats real, you know, runs through the maggid and, and gets to the meal. Uh, there might be elderly people, for all kinds of reasons, you know. But a classic, old fashioned, from Seder would be one in which, especially now, people went to shivas. They would talk about the Um uh, But uh, that's the way it's evolved. Uh, if you have a whole discussion of the maggid, you've gone far away from the symposium. I mean, you're still keeping the four cups. You're still keeping the four questions. You're still possibly talking about other four things, but. The intellectuality of it is around the idea of the magad. And that becomes the intellectual uh, space. Um, I would be tempted to say, but I wouldn't say this. I would be tempted to say that in Rabbi Gamliel's time, maybe they were working it out. You know, you have the four cups. You know, the first cup is Kiddush, and then the next three, one is for the Matzah, one's for the Marah, one's for the, the Pesach. Maybe somebody says a shtick like that is a magadah. I mean, long ago, you understand? Uh, so what I'm trying to get across, and I hope I'm doing a, a decent job, is that you have to look at the Pesach Haggadah, and therefore the Pesach Seder ceremony, as an archaeological site to me? mined. Um, you have to go to the original Makoras and then you have to see how the Rishonim and in different uh, communities, how they developed Minhagim along these lines. The fact that the basic template of Seder that you and I are familiar with is in the Mishnah, gave that the, the, the privileged position. Because uh, the Mishnah is the Mishnah. And, uh, you know, that's authoritative. And the Talmud works itself around the Mishnah. And therefore, since we get the laws from the Talmud, from the Babylonian Mishalmi, it, it comes out of that. But, you know, what they said in the time of the Mishnah was the way it had evolved in that time of the Mishnah. Uh, at the time of the Mishnah, Rabbi and we were not, were not there yet. And, uh, you know what I mean, though, is they weren't uh, authority figures. And, uh, you know, their versions of the magid so to speak, came later. Uh, again, <clears throat> the Mishnah, is, it dates, as we all know, from a time then when there was a carbon Pesach. Well, when there's a carbon Pesach, you know, the mag is around the, the actual carbon Pesach. What do you do when there is no carbon Pesach? Then the narrative has to assume a different form. That's a famous uh, Natsiv that I like to quote every year uh, because, here, I'll read it from my notes. According to Natsiv... Matzah in the times of the temple was not considered lechemoni because it was eaten as part of a lamb sandwich and the Natsif proves that when Matzah is eaten together with other foods like wine, honey and oil it's considered l'moshcha, rich man's food. Uh, in other words, it's not only Matzah, share Matzah, Aniyah based on the ingredients. Um, that's an important point of it but he, based on the Gemara and first perk he has is l'moshcha. Only when Matzah is eaten alone nowadays it's considered poor man's food. Indeed, the says, the focus of the Seder was different in Temple times. Are you listening? In those days, the Magad part uh, revolved primarily around the Passover of the Angel of Death and all that. And the symbol of the Passover was Karm Pesach. And therefore, that was the center of the Magad. Nowadays, the Netziv Tainas, the center of the Seder ritual is the Matzah, because that's a symbol of the Chippazon. And that's to encourage us to hold out until the Geula. That's, that's a gullus type of Seder, to instill into the Jewish people the idea that a ge'ul is coming. And the first thing they tacked on to the new pro chirban version of the Haggadah therefore was halach and, uh, ma'anya. And that's why, you know, he says you have the change in the language from atzah or ochlum ha'shoman, things like that. Um, so what is the Natsif saying over there? The Seder is a historical phenomenon. It's undergone historical change. If tomorrow the Mashiach came and we had... A again, had Hagar You can throw your old haggadah out because they'll have to make changes in the order for the haggadah. You understand? You won't be eating the afikom in the same way. You won't be eating the matzah and the maris separate items and all the rest of it. You won't have a shulchan aruch, uh, you know, uh, the way we have it now. The carbon pesach will assume a big form, and for many families, the carbon pesach, you know, because they say, if you uh, if you have a whole lot of people, then the carbon pesach has to be the uh, dessert. Everybody gets a kazayis. But if you have a, not a whole lot of people, then you eat the karm Pesach, that's it. You don't even need a Chagiga. And uh, that becomes your Shulchan orich plus the Matzah, plus the Mar, plus everything. So uh, don't be surprised that the Nusach of this, I mean, if we have a Sanhedrin, I'm talking about, that the that the Seder will all of a sudden start talking about the significance of the Karn Pesach. And you'll see all new talked talk about the meat and the quality and this and that and the other Um uh, and the matzah, as the chief suggests, will sort of recede in importance. Uh, it'll be important, but not the same way it is now. And I don't even know if the Ashkenazim will continue to have the brittle matzahs, because we do that as a function of the fact that we only eat matzahs. So, you know, the Ashkenazim picked up the to make it re like the uh, Rama says. But uh, obviously, the original matzah wasn't like that. We all know what the Middle East is, uh, some, some sort of pizza type thing, like the Sephardim have today. I mean, that's what Moshe Rabbeinu awake. That's what they ate in the ancient Middle East. They didn't; they were kicking like the like the Ashkenazim do today. That's a gallus form of the matzah. And uh, if the if the matzah will then be eaten together with a lamb sandwich, as I said before, it's not going to be like a lechem oni type of work, uh, as seems suggests. So, I'll simply conclude. I went too long. but I'll simply point out that uh, it's it, it, it's it's uh, if you want to. I would suggest, if you want to understand, what have fun, uh, try to understand what it was like when the, uh, you know, Seder originated, and then try to see how the rabbis and people like that over the ages
1: Jewishized
0: everything. And once they created in the Mishnah, with this I'll conclude, once the Mishnah created a written Nusuch, then it becomes part of Chazal. Once it becomes part of Chazal, then we can Darshan. In Judaism, when we have a sacred text as opposed to a non-sacred text, the difference is the sacred text is considered a site where it is where, where the surface meaning is is just the beginning, but there's a much deeper meaning that can be uncovered beneath it because they'll view the people who wrote the Mishnah as not regular people but like Superman. Right? That's how we look. Onu kachamorim behem kamalochim whatever the expression is over there. So if people who are malachim, like Nossi, come and formalized a, a text, which they did, because we have a text of the basic order to say here, those parts we darshan. If they used, like we do in the Maggit of the of the Shmuel, if they use uh, the Sifri, that's from Chazal. That become a sacred text, a sacred text you can darshan. So you can have Pirushanahagara, which explains you know the parts about the uh, from the sifri. Or from the Mishnah, or things like that. Um uh, the extra added ones, you know how it goes. Over the course of the years, everybody wants to have right Haggadah. Uh, they came up with a good word on this, a good word of that. And uh, you know, sometimes it would be some kind of late minute. There are there are commentaries, I'm serious, by great people on the Khadgadya. Even the Khadgadya is not, you know, in part of the Ikra Haggadah. There are commentaries and interesting ones on Adyarhu. You know, these are late editions medieval additions to the Haggadah. So don't look at it as, you know, like you're, you're popping somebody's uh, uh, balloon over here. But but try to understand, if you want to, I'm only suggesting this, uh, how the Haggadah and the Seder e- evolved historically. And it doesn't mean that it's finished evolving. Right? Because Judaism is a, is, is, is a religion, you know, like I said before, if the Gaulah changes tomorrow, if the Gaulah comes in, it'll evolve again. Uh, and nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. The reason everybody writes a Haggadah is because in every generation where you live, you see it from a different angle. Uh, we today who live in time after... The, on the one hand, we lived after the Holocaust. On the other hand, we see the State of Israel. You see all these yeshivas in Israel. You have to view it different than your ancestor did 200 years ago. I mean, that's, that's normal. That's the way it goes. Otherwise, you're stuck in, a, in an old rut. So, the idea of... uh of trying to understand the uh, the Hagada and the Seder as something which may have originated in Alexandria and Egypt, but then was transformed. Once the uh, Chazal got their hands on it, and the, the Nusach that we have today comes from Chazal, or uh, text and sources, that's what turns it into something which is a Dabr Shabba That's At least that's that's how I understand it. Once again, I want to thank Ispachos Chavansky uh, for this, and we'll see if we have any more talks on Pesach coming up. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com